Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Come on, who's excited to be at Mission Church on Super Bowl Sunday? Let's go. Uh, thanks, guys. If I had not had the uh, opportunity to meet you, my name is Joe Little. I'm the youth pastor here. Uh, I have the... Thanks. Yeah, youth. Come on. I love seeing our youth students up front. Let's go. Youth students leading the charge. Let's go. Um, uh, if I have not had the chance to meet you, I'm the youth pastor here, and um, I have the honor of just uh, speaking today. Um, don't we love our pastors, Pastors Tyler and Rachel? Come on. Come on. I love, love, love our pastors. Uh, anytime I get to speak, I want to make sure I honor them. Uh, they are not uh, normal pastors. They are exceptional leaders. Uh, anytime we're in a staff meeting or we're talking, they're always like, hey, I was looking over our city. I was praying. Uh, I was leaning in. They have, a, have amazing, amazing prayers. They pray over us. They, think, they uh, always, always are processing how can we make our city better and brighter in our church. And I love, love, love that. Such an honor to be here. Such an honor to be a part of what God's doing here at Mission Church. And we love our pastors. Amen. Come on, let's clap for our pastors one more time. Come on. And uh, I'm going to get right into the message because uh, there's this football game going on. Uh, so who in here, where are the Niner fans at? Make some noise. Come on. I see you Niners fans. I see you Niners fans with your, with your gear on. I'm a bandwagon Niners fan, like unashamed, full bandwagon, like I have a t-shirt, like we're in, we're in. Um, where are the Chiefs fans at? Make some noise. Okay. Yeah, all four of you. Yes. Yes. My guy Gabe here has on the full Chiefs outfit. You are bold. Stand up. Stand up for us, Gabe. Stand up. Stand up. You are bold. You are bold, man. You are bold. That's one of our youth students, so pray for me as the youth pastor. Come on. Pray for his family. Pray for them. Pray. Pray. Come on. Uh... So the title of my message today, the title of my message, wait, oh yeah, we talked about sports. Who in here is a fan of the commercials? Make some noise. I don't want to leave you out. Come on. Yeah, we can't wait for that Doritos commercial. Yes, yes. Cheez-Its, let's go. Um, the title of my message today, sorry if I'm doing that. Uh, can we maybe turn the house lights up just a little bit? I want to be able to see everyone. Uh, the title of my message today uh, is Go Green. Go Green. Okay. Uh, wait, I heard, I heard somebody say, I heard somebody, go white. Let's go. Come on. You know what it is. You know what it is. Now, I am a sports fan. It is Super Bowl Sunday. I am a sports fan to the core. Like, if you know me at all, I love sports. I love, love, love competition. I love sports. What I love about every team is that every team has something that they, as a fan base, love to say. So, for example, Niners fans, you guys always love to say... Come on, you can say those words. I can't say it. I'm going to say it. I'm the youth pastor. I'm the youth pastor. But you say, you know, something, something, Niner gang, right, right, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get it. You get it. Uh, uh, come on. Cal Berkeley fans say things like, go Bears. Come on. Where the, where the Bears at? Where the Bears at? Yes. Yes. Come on. You end your 5.6 GPA. Yes. Yes. You end your community service hours. Yes. Go Bears. Come on. Raiders fans say things like, maybe next year. Like, those are the things. Those are things every fan base has their slogan. Maybe next year, but probably not. Sorry, Raiders fans. Oh, oh, boo. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, but the reason why this is titled Go Green is because I am a Michigan State fan to the core. I love, come on, I love Michigan State. I'm like from Lansing, right where Michigan State is, 517. Like that's where I am from. I love Lansing. So we have this thing in Michigan to where if you're a Michigan State fan and you see somebody else in Michigan State fan, you say, go green. And then the people respond by saying, Go white, go white. So let's, let's try it. Let's just try it for fun. We didn't do this the other services, but you guys are the fun service. Go green. Go white. I haven't had that happen in like four years. Like that is incredible. Incredible. Thank you. Thank you for, thank you. I, clap for yourself. Wow. Come on. That was great. That had nothing to do with the message. That was just for my pure enjoyment. Like I even went to the airport one time and there was a woman who had on a Michigan State hat and I'm like, yes, I found one. So I literally like, I'm like, hey, go green. And she looks at me and she looks back and goes, thanks. And I'm like, come on now, like, <laughs> what? Like you don't even, you don't even know, like where'd you get the hat? Like obviously it was a gift, like you, you clearly are not a fan of Michigan State. So I, 
go back home this last October and I go to Michigan State because they have Midnight Madness. And Midnight Madness is this incredible time. They do dunk contests and scrimmages and it's Halloween. So Tom Izzo's dressed as Batman and it's this amazing, amazing moment. And uh, they go to this dunk contest. So they have this dunk contest and this, this guy throws down the, like one of the most amazing dunks I've ever seen. Like literally the most incredible dunk. So it was like Sports Center top 10, this amazing dunk. I actually sent it in uh, on the screen. You can go ahead and uh, look on the screen. Yeah, like that's pretty incredible. From the free throw line, superhero. I don't know. I don't know what, and that's my screen record. So <laughs> yeah, why is this brightness so high? I can't see, I have glasses. Um, so that dunk happens, and the whole arena is like going nuts. Like everyone's freaking out. Everyone's going crazy. I'm there with my mom. I'm there with my sister. I'm there with my niece, and we're going nuts, and we're cheering. And I look to my niece. Her name's Mercy Liana, which means that she definitely, you know, has a little bit of attitude. Mercy Liana, you got to have a little bit of attitude with a name like that. So I look to Mercy, and I say, Mercy, wasn't that dunk insane? Like, wasn't that crazy? And she looks at me and goes, can we go home yet? And I'm literally like... Mercy, like, like literally Michael Jordan, 50 years old and all, could have dunked from the free throw line and she would have been like, can we go home yet? Like it would have taken like Peppa Pig or someone to like actually make her engage. Like where's Bluey? Like it's, it's, that was incredible. But it's hilarious because we have this amazing moment. All Michigan State fans are going crazy. It's Sports Center top 10 and my niece isn't enjoying it for the simple fact that she wasn't engaged. She wasn't engaged. She wasn't there. She's like, I'd rather be somewhere else. And what you have to understand is as we talk about church today, that the way that you get the most out of church has nothing to do with the speaker. It has nothing to do with the worship. It has nothing to do with the lights. It has everything to do with, are you engaged? Are you engaged in the church? Are you leaning in? Are you worshiping? Are you engaged? Because what we'll do is we'll sit in service and we'll have like our hands in our pockets during worship. And then we'll like have a seat and we'll be like on our phone during the entire message. And then we'll go to lunch and just say like, church wasn't that good today. <laughs> or, and we don't say like our, our youth students are bold and honest. Like they'll straight up walk up to me and be like, today was boring. And I'm like, lie, lie. We'll pray for you later and repent, but just lie in the moment. Like today was boring. Like you guys, we'll, we'll, me and you as adults, we'll say things like, oh, I just didn't really get anything out of it. Well, I, just, I just wasn't really feeling it today. They didn't even sing lion. Like it's like... <laughs> I didn't even sing lion today. Church just wasn't that good. Like what? But the way I tell our students is the way that you get everything that you want to get out of church is by putting everything that you have into the church. I've been in churches with 10 people and a Spotify playlist and people are going for it and people are being healed and lives are being transformed and addictions falling off people and they're finding freedom. And it was some of the most amazing church services that I've ever been in. And I've also been in church services with 5,000 people and it was empty and there was no energy and it was lifeless and there was no passion. And the difference had nothing to do with the amount of people. It had everything to do with the amount of engagement. Because one group of people decided, hey, we're going to be passionate. We're going to lean in. We're going to worship. And the other group decided that they weren't going to be engaged. When I'm fully engaged in the church, when I'm lifting my hands up in worship, when the gospel is being preached, when people are finding community that had no community, it's impossible to get nothing out of it. It's impossible. It's impossible when I'm leaned in to show up to a church service and to get nothing out of it. The question is not what songs did we sing? The question is not what was the message about? The question is, are you engaged? So I wrote down just three ways, three ways that the Bible actually shows us that you and I should be engaged in church. And we're going to look at Acts 2, 42 today. And it says all the believers, everybody say all, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, and to prayer. So the first thing that I want you to write down today is they were devoted to the church. Come on, it says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. What you have to understand is that this is their church service. So what happened, you see it all throughout Acts that Paul and the apostles, they would walk around in the city and they would just stop in the courtyard and just start preaching. And then all of a sudden, people would begin to line up. People would begin to surround them. People would begin to ask questions and respond. Some translations even say they were continually devoted to the apostles' teaching. 
meaning that they did not just listen to the teaching, but they processed the teaching. That they, after they left church, they would say things like, oh, how can I apply this? Oh, oh, I can't wait to do this in my marriage. I can't wait to figure this out in my school. I can't wait to figure this out. They were not just attending church, but they were engaged in the church. It was not just a place that they were. It was a priority to them. Church cannot just be a place that you and I attend. It cannot just be a place we show up to on a Sunday morning, but it has to be a priority. Church was not just a priority for them. The Bible actually shows us it was a priority to Jesus. See, Jesus is 12 years old and he's going to this festival with his family and they go to this festival every year and it's crazy and things are happening and they're having a good time. And then all of a sudden his parents are on their way home and they realize we lost Jesus. And it's like, come on guys, you had one job. Like literally like (laughs) they lost him. He's gone. And what ends up happening is they go back to find him. And it's very interesting that the place that they find him is actually the Bible tells us is in the temple. And he's there and he's leaning in and people are preaching and people are talking. And the Bible actually tells us that he was asking them questions. And it says that they were amazed. They were amazed at his questions. They were amazed at the way he processed. They were amazed at his engagement. They were amazed at it. It even tells us that when his parents found him, it says Luke 2, 48, it says his parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why do you need to search? He asked, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Can I ask you this question today? Where must you be? Where must, because Jesus had a, oh no, no, no. Why'd you even have to look for me? I must be in my father's house. I asked this question to our youth students and on our campuses. If people needed to find you, where would be the first place that they look? If people needed to find you, who would be the first people they would call? Because if you answer that question, then what you'll find out is where must you be? Jesus could have been anywhere in this moment. He could have been, it's a festival. He could have been eating food. He could have been playing cornhole. He could have been doing anything in this moment. He could have been eating an elephant ear. Like he literally could have been anywhere. And where is he found? In the church. He's found asking questions. My prayer for our church is that this place would be such a priority for you that it would be such a place of priority that people would say, oh, I don't know where so-and-so is. It's like, oh, I know where they are. They must be in the Father's house. They must be at a small group. They must be at worship night. They must be at a Sunday morning. In this next season, can I encourage you, be found in the Father's house. Be found in the church. Be found in the church, not just to check a box, but engaged. Not just to be there to just check a box and say, oh, I went to church. No, no, no. To be engaged. They was a priority. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The second thing they were devoted to, they were devoted to fellowship and food. <laughs> Come on. It says, and to fellowship and to sharing in meals. Come on, there is not a word in scripture without void. Come on, without sharing in meals. Come on, Holy Spirit inspired. They ate together. Love some food. Who's excited for some Super Bowl food? Let's go. Come on. Come on, including the Lord's Supper, not just communion. Come on, they had some good meals there. One of the worst things that can happen in your life and in my life is that we see church as a place that we attend and not a place that we actually are. You see, you and I are not called to just go to church. We are actually called to be the church. And when I realize that I am the church, that's when I start to do things like I start to get into a small group. That's when I do things like I start to have dinners with people and meals with people and go out to eat with people and hang with people. Why? Because you understand that church is not a crowd, but church is a community. I remember uh, Paige was having this hiking era and she was uh, into hiking. Who in here is into hiking? Who in here is into hiking? Yeah, okay. Okay, yeah, let's clap for hiking. Okay, great. Yeah, why not? Why not? Uh, Who in here is like, I don't like hiking and you're like me? Yeah, let's clap for you more and louder. I just never understood it. I'm going to be honest. Like, hey, let's go walking uphill. Like, let's like, just never really got the allure. Um, So we're in Washington and Paige is like, let's go hiking. And what's crazy is she's like, okay. And I'm like, I don't really want to go hiking, um, but I'll sacrifice for you. Uh, So, so she's like, okay, we'll do an easy hike. We'll do an easy hike. And she goes, okay, there's one that's a mile hike. And I'm like, okay, a mile doesn't sound that bad. So we start hiking. What she doesn't tell me uh, is that that's a mile up and then also a mile back down. So I'm literally like walking and she's just like has her backpack on and she's cruising, stopping, taking pictures. And every like 10 minutes, I'm like looking at her like, you look tired. Like, uh, I, think, I think we should stop and get a break for you. Like, not for me. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Once you say fine three times, you're probably not fine. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. 
I'm good. Like, you know, for you, for you. And we get to the top of this mountain and it's an incredible view. And, and we, then we went hiking again and you know, she, we were just doing this thing, like just hiking and hiking and hiking. And then all of a sudden I sent in a picture of where we uh, ended up actually finding, yeah, like that's pretty cool, right? Wow. Last, last service we got an aw. I was like, that's cool. All right, we can, we can take the picture down. Uh, actually, keep the picture up for a second. Wouldn't it be amazing if I could have this view without actually hiking? <laughs> like, wouldn't that be great? If you could just like, like click your heels together, like clap your hands, and all of a sudden you're at this view, and it's like, wow, like this is amazing. Wouldn't that be amazing? You can take the picture down. It would be amazing if I could have the view of hiking without actually hiking. <laughs> Wouldn't it be so much easier to get freedom if you didn't have to have accountability? <laughs> Wouldn't it be so much nicer if I could get healing in my relationships without vulnerability? Wouldn't that just be great if I could just be like, you know what? I kind of figured this out on my own. I kind of worked it out on myself. I worked out that addiction. I worked out that temptation. I think I'm good. Like, wouldn't that just be so much easier? The problem is this. You can only be free to the level that you are vulnerable. So you have to understand in life is that if you aren't feeling very, very free, the question you have to ask yourself is, have you been very, very vulnerable? Have you shared? Have you went into community? I love what uh, this pastor Chris Hodges says. Chris Hodges says, Jesus saves you from the penalty of your sin, but community has the power to free you from the bondage of your sin. You see, Jesus saved us from the, on the cross from the penalty of our sin, but he uses his church and he uses his community and he uses things like small group and Sunday morning gatherings to free you from the bondage of your sin that now you can come together and you can say, okay, this sin no longer has a hold on me. That's why it's so amazing that we have over a thousand people in small groups in this season of our church. Well, we can clap for that. That's an amazing, amazing number. Not because the number is large, but because that's an amount of people who have said, I'm going to be devoted to fellowship that I'm gonna be devoted to community. This word fellowship doesn't mean just hanging out. Like it doesn't mean, oh yeah, they just got together and they watched the Niners win and it was a great Sunday afternoon. No, it actually means this partnership. It means, hey, I'm gonna to need to help you sometimes and you're gonna to need to help me sometimes. That it's actually a picture of leaning on each other. It is not just hanging out, eating meals, but it's sharing things with each other. It's helping each other. They were devoted to fellowship. They had a devotion and a commitment to each other. Showing me that they did not give up on each other quickly. Because you and I live in cancel culture, right? Like, you don't agree with me, like, you're the enemy. Oh, we don't vote the same way, you're the enemy. Oh, you don't live your life, oh, I think you should, you don't do this, you know that, oh, it's cool, don't talk to me anymore. But what I love about this is that it shows us that we cannot demonize those that disagree with us. That we cannot have this. We have to remember who the actual enemy is. How do I know? Proverbs 27, 6 tells us this. Faithful are the wounds from a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Come on, faithful are the wounds from a friend. Have you ever had a moment where you got home from work and you just had a great day and you're just crushing it and everything's amazing and you were like active, like you didn't just hide in the office, you went out and you talked to people and you were engaged and it was great and you went to lunch with people and then all of a sudden you get home and your spouse or whoever, you, you get to them and they, and they look at you or your kids and your kids get to you and they say, hey, uh, you got something in your teeth. And you start to process all of the people that you talk to. And it's like, well, apparently I'm not that close with this person. Apparently me and that person aren't friends. If they thought we were friends, we're clearly not because you let me walk around all day with some stuff in my teeth. Can I encourage you? We do not just need friends that compliment us. We do not need, just need friends that approve of us. We need some friends that'll tell us, hey, you got a little bit of something in your teeth. <laughs> Hey, you got, hey, you got some, there's some things going on. Come on. I, and we'll tell ourselves and we'll tell each other, oh, I don't want to go to that community. I don't want to go. I don't want to go to that small group. They always tell me I'm wrong. You might be like, honestly, <laughs> you might be wrong. And that's okay. Why? Because community is supposed to change you. Come on. How devastating would it be for you to go to a small group for three months and to leave it the exact same way that you entered it? How devastating would it be for you to serve in church, lean in church for six months and you're here and you're engaged. And then if some, for some reason the season here ends, you exit out the exact same way that you came. But no, you and I are supposed to be changed. 
This is the church. Come on, we are here for your good. We are here for your bad. We are here for your ugly. But we have to be devoted to fellowship. We have to be devoted to fellowship. And the last thing that they were devoted to, they were devoted to prayer. Come on, I love this because what it shows me is you cannot be devoted to prayer and only pray once. Like you have to be devoted to prayer. You cannot just pray. You have to live lives of prayer. I tell this to our youth students all the time. If the only time, if the only time that you talk to God is on a Sunday at a service and you're here with us for an hour and a half, if the only time you talk to God is here on Sunday, it's going to be very, very hard for you to have peace on Wednesday. It's going to be very, very hard for you to have trust on Thursday, for you to have hope on Friday. But we are not called to just pray. We are called to live lives of prayer. That's why I love team prayer. Wednesday mornings, 930, you're all invited. We hang here. We pray. We pray over the needs of our church. We pray over our community. We pray for a building. Come on, somebody. We pray. We pray. We pray. Uh, Throughout the week, we have staff prayer. Our staff comes together in this room, and we're laying hands on seats before we even get close to serving. We're saying, hey, God, would you do something in our people? Would you change their lives? Would you heal their marriages? Come on, I believe you should have personal prayer. Someone asked me, hey, how can I get to praying more? How can I enter this season? Can I give you a really practical way to pray? Write some things down that you need from God and just pray over them every day. Start with some thankfulness. That's what I do. I literally do this. I have things written down. I, have, I say, thank you, God, for three things every single morning. Then I have a list, a list of things that I pray for. And what's gonna happen is as you, have to, as you begin to live this life of prayer, it's going to be amazing to watch some of those things get taken off the list. It's going to be amazing to go into your notes app and be like, okay, I can erase that. I can take this off. I can take this off. God's done this. God's done this. And you know what's even more fun? When you get to add new things to the list in faith. Oh, because I got to take that off. Now I can actually put this on the list and have trust and have faith. We are supposed to live lives of prayer. There's a story in the Bible where Jesus is healing, or Jesus heals this demon-possessed boy. And what happens is this, this father brings his son to the disciples. And they're there and they're going for it. Like they're trying hard and they're trying to get the demon, they're trying to rid this boy of this demon and, and they're trying hard and they're praying and they're going for it and they're working hard and nothing happens. And then all of a sudden, the father has this, what I like to call, like, he calls on the manager moment. Like, like I don't know when this happened to me, but at some point in the last year, I became, like, call the manager guy. Like, I was on the phone with, like, someone in the customer service. Like, it was, it was, an, it was like, a weird conversation. So I was like, hey, uh, can I maybe talk to the manager? And I looked at the phone, like, who have I become? Like, like I literally was like, what? It was like that commercial, like, we can't stop you from becoming your parents. Like, that literally was, like, what it was. I was like, who am I? Can I talk to the manager? Jeez, like, who is this guy? So he calls on Jesus. He calls on Jesus. He's like, hey, 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 you guys aren't doing this. I need to talk to the manager. Like, let's, let's, let's figure this out. And Jesus heals them instantly. Instantly he's healed. And what happens later in the story is the disciples pull Jesus to the side and they say, hey, Jesus, uh, how come you could do it and we couldn't? Like, how come you healed this boy so easily? And we can, what I love about Jesus is Jesus didn't say, well, I'm the son of God. <laughs> He didn't say, well, clearly I'm more anointed than you. Well, obviously I have some power that you don't have access to, even though he does. But he said, what did he say? This one can only come out through prayer and through fasting. Can I encourage you? There are some things that are going to happen in your life that the only way that you're going to be able to overcome them is through prayer and through fasting. There are some things that are going to happen in your marriage that the only way you're going to be able to overcome them is through prayer and through fasting. There are some things that are going to happen in your job that are only going to be able to happen through prayer and through fasting. Why? Because prayer does things that I cannot do on my own. So right now you might be overwhelmed. Well, how am I going to get through this? Prayer. Well, how am I going to have the peace to accept this? Prayer. Well, how am I going to be able to move forward? Prayer. Not just praying once. It says they were devoted to prayer. I tell this to our students, every prayer that you pray is answered. Do you know that every single prayer that you pray is answered? Yes, no, or not yet. (laughs) Because we'll pray and we'll be like, oh man, I prayed and God didn't answer me. No is an answer. (laughs) Not yet is an answer. Yes is an answer. Every single prayer that you pray is answered. Yes, no, and not yet. So I used to pray, hey God, would you give me the right answer? Like... (laughs) Would you give me the answer I want? And then all of a sudden my prayers began to shift and now it's, hey God, would you give me the peace to accept your answer? 
Would you give me the peace to know that your answer is the best answer? I might not fully understand your answer. I might not fully even, can we be honest? I might not even fully agree with your answer. <laughs> but help me to accept your answer. And you know a prayer that God always answered yet, answers yes is a prayer for his presence. Every single time. If you pray, hey, God, would you give me the peace? Would you give me the hope? Would you give me the joy? That's a prayer that he answers yes and amen. How do I know? Second Chronicles 7:14, one of my favorite verses. I read it anytime that I get to preach. I love it so much. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Come on, the promise of God is not that you would get everything that you asked for. But the promise of God is that you would be heard and healed. Yes. Come on, the goal is not that you would just get the promotion. The goal is that you would be heard and healed. The goal is not that you would just maybe get the things that you've been asking God for, but you can take a step back and say, okay, God, we have to, we have to do this. We have to change our success barometer on prayer. Like whether or not we're successful in our prayer life is not based on the result. Right. <laughs> like whether or not, okay, prayer worked, prayer didn't, it's not based on whether or not we prayed for happened, but it's based off of, okay, was this prayer heard? Yes. And can I find healing through the answer? Yes. Well, then prayer was a success because I've been heard and I've been healed. Come on. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for a God that hears me and heals me. I'm thankful for a God that hears me no matter when I'm in my lowest moment and heals me from anything that I'm going through. We are not successful in prayer because we got the promotion, because we got what we asked for, but we're successful because we were heard and we were healed. So what's the result of this engagement? What's the result of them being devoted, them being devoted to the church, them being devoted to fellowship, them being devoted to prayer? The answer is revival. Come on, they began to see amazing things happen in the local church. Well, how do we define revival as a church? Lost people coming to know God, Sleepy Christians waking up and our city becoming better and brighter. These people witnessed revival and it was not a part of their, it was not a result of their programs. It wasn't a result of their behavior, but it was a result of their engagement. How do I know? Acts 2, it tells us, it says a deep sense of awe came over them all. all the, and the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. Men, in men in met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So the three things that we talked about that we see happen. The first one, sleepy Christians begin to wake up. The Bible tells us a deep sense of awe came over them and the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. They begin to get this deep sense of awe, this deep sense of wonder, this fresh vision of who God was. Miracles are happening. Signs are being performed. They begin to say, oh man, I haven't seen God work in this way. Oh, or I have, but I forgot that he was able to do these things. Something that Teasley said last week that I love when we were taking communion. We cannot treat that that is uncommon as common. We cannot treat things that are, because have you ever, oh, it happens so many times to where you begin to get in church for a little bit and all of the things that used to be uncommon to you now are common. Like, it's like you sing a song like Holy Spirit, the helper and the healer. And you're just like, oh yeah, that's cool. Or we take communion. People are getting baptized, going from death to life. And it's like, oh, baptisms today. Awesome. What a great surprise. Like, no, we cannot treat it as common. This is abnormal. This is amazing. God is moving. Things are happening. How do I know? So have you ever, I, I asked this to our students. I asked them, I said, okay, who in here has had something like fall asleep? So like who in here has had like your arm fall asleep or your leg fall asleep? Raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand. It's happened to all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's happened to all of us. So where something like fell asleep. So like, you know how it happens. You're sitting on the couch and you're in that spot. We all have that spot in our house. Like the spot that perfectly is on the couch, but it's positioned so you can perfectly see the TV, but it's not too far away from the table. So you can have your snacks on one side and then the remote's easily accessible on the other side and you have that blanket. Like we all have that spot. Come on, we've had arguments over that spot. Come on, come on. We've had, your kids have fought over that spot. Come on, it's my turn. Like we've had those moments and then all of a sudden, like you realize that the, the chip bowl is a little bit low or you don't have as much salsa as you used to and then all of a sudden you get up and it's like, what happened to my leg? Like, like why, why do I have this tingly feeling in my arm? 
When do you realize that something has fallen asleep? When it's time to get up. <laughs> when do you realize that your arm has fallen asleep? You do not realize it until it is time to move it. And what happens in our walk with God is we don't realize that we have fallen asleep until we look up and all of a sudden it's, how did this happen in my marriage? How did this happen in my integrity? How did this happen at my job? And then all of a sudden you realize, I've fallen asleep. I've fallen asleep again. Church, have you lost your awe? Revelations 2, Jesus is writing a letter to the church and he says, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. He's saying, you guys are killing it. You've tested those who claim to be apostles and are not. You found them false. Come on, you kicked them out. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name. You have not grown weary. You came to church on Super Bowl Sunday, even the late service. Come on. Yet, <laughs> you have not grown weary. And then he says, yet, I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love that you had at first. I'm going to talk to the Christians in the room for a second. If you're not a Christian, don't worry. We'll hook you up in about 10 minutes. But to the Christians in the room. Do you remember the first time that you went to church? Do you remember the first time? Do you remember the first time? Maybe you didn't grow up in church or maybe you did and you were younger. Do you remember the first time that you walked in? You were a little bit nervous. People started singing songs. They were lifting their hands, looking up to the sky and you're like, what's up there? Like, what's, what's going on? Then all of a sudden the preacher starts talking and you get goosebumps and it's, man, does he know my family? Like, does the preacher like know my job? Like, does it, like what is happening? Do you remember the first time you got on a team? When you began to process, okay, maybe I should give my time, talents, everything that I have to the church. Remember the first time you got into a group to where you sat across a table from someone and you finally shared the vulnerability of your struggles and somebody looked back at you and for the first time in your life, someone said, me too. Do you remember that? The first time, do you remember the first time? Can I even ask you this? What used to be a non-negotiable for you? What used to be, oh, I can't miss church. Hey I, hey, I know there's something big going on on Sunday morning, but I can't miss church. Oh, I know that I, there's this thing happening on a Thursday night, but I can't miss, I can't miss revival night. What used to be a non-negotiable to you? Do you remember the times you're at your lowest and you thought to yourself, I'm not going to make it through this day if I don't read my Bible. I'm not going to make it through this day if I don't listen to worship music. I'm not going to make it through this day if I don't call my small group leader. And then all of a sudden, some months go by, maybe a couple years, and you look up and you've fallen asleep again. And maybe you've, the things, like I said, you've begun to treat the, that that is uncommon as common. He says, you've done everything. You've worked hard, you've strived, but you've forsaken the love you had at first. What have you abandoned? What priorities have shifted? But I love this, when you begin to be engaged in the church again, when you begin to be devoted, when you begin to be devoted to the church, devoted to community, devoted to prayer, what ends up happening? Come on, how do you wake your leg back up when it's falling asleep? How do you wake your arm back up when it's falling asleep? You got to shake it a little bit. You got you to gotta really get that tingliness out of there. And that's what happens when you begin to be engaged is it's this spiritual shaking of, oh, what used to be asleep is now awake. What used to be dead is now alive. What used to be in bondage is now free. Come on, we all have to be re-engaged. Have you lost your awe? Come on, what makes a city or what happens in our life is sleepy Christians begin to wake again. They begin to serve again. They begin to find hope and joy and peace again. And they begin to regain a deep sense of awe. Sleepy Christians wake up. The second thing that happened was this. Their city was better and brighter. It says all the people, all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. This is insane. Like a lot of times we can read the Bible and we can just kind of like walk through it. But this is like crazy. People are literally getting phone calls. Hey, so-and-so is really struggling. And people are making the decision. Hey, you know what? I think I can sell parts of my business. I think I can sell parts of the things I got going on. I think I can maybe start selling my possessions. Why? To help those in need. What makes a city better and brighter is when the church comes together and begins to help meet the needs of those around us. When we begin to understand, hey, this whole thing's actually not about me. Like it's actually not about what I can get out of it. Some of us, God has taken through hard times and we think that it's just so that we can stand on the other side of the mountain. But what's interesting is that it's actually so that you can begin to bring other people to the other side of the mountain with you. That the Bible actually says that we should comfort others as we have been comforted. That we should be with others as God has been with us. 
that we are not going through things just for us, but we are going through them so that we can bring other people with us. So what if your small groups got a little bit messy? Have you ever thought about that? What if your small groups just got a little bit messy? What if, you, what if we didn't have to be the people that have it all together and know all the answers? But what if we began to share our scars with people? What if we began to tell people, hey, this is what happened in my life. These are the decisions that I've made. Because there's this uh, famous quote, people will either learn by experience or by wisdom. So let's, let's pray in my prayer for our church. How do you make a city better and brighter by having more people learning through wisdom that, that we don't have to allow people to go through struggles. We can say, Hey, I've been through this. Here's some ways that you can avoid it. And then not only just that way, but some of us, God has given us the gift of provision. God has blessed our business, not so that things can get through to us, but so that things can actually get through us so that we can actually be generous. There's a story in the Bible. Maybe you've heard it. The rich young ruler to where this guy goes to Jesus and he's a young ruler and he's got a ton of money. I mean, this guy's loaded and he goes to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, uh, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus responds, hey, you know the laws, like, you know, the church, you've been doing this thing before. And he looks back at Jesus and he says, oh, I'm killing it. Oh, I'm good. I'm good then. I've done all those. He even says, since I was a child. And then Mark 10, 21, it says, looking at him, Jesus showed love to him and said to him, one thing you lack Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But he was deeply dismayed by these words and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. This is crazy moment to where he walks away from Jesus grieving. Like he walks away like, man, I was so close. I could have followed Jesus. Imagine him going home and he just throws his bag on the ground and his wife's like, what, what, what's going on? He's like, I went and talked to Jesus She's like, well, well, what happened? Did you ask him that question? Did you ask him that question that he, you thought, like, how can we get eternal life? And he's, and he's like, yeah. Well, what would he say? He said, I have to sell everything and follow him. <laughs> well, what'd you do? Well, I'm here, aren't I? Like, I, <laughs> business is booming. Like, it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and it seems like it should be an easy decision that, hey, you should give everything you have and you should follow Jesus. And yet you and I, maybe it's not just financially, but can I ask you, what things are you holding on to? What things are you holding on to that God's asking you to release in order to follow him? The Bible even tells, hey, whoever wants to gain their life must lose it. Come on, that's the Bible. That is scripture. What is good? And it even tells us, hey, what good is it to gain the world, but to lose our soul? Come on, what good is it to gain wealth? What good is it to gain influence? What good is it to add things to our business, add things to our life, add things to our resume? and to lose our soul. I know this is a touchy topic because we'll fly around the world, we'll travel around the country and preach the gospel. Once the pastor talks about tithing, I'll let Pastor Tyler figure that out next week. But we all know, we all know. Come on, the next thing, their homes were better and brighter. I could feel the energy just, ooh, now, now their homes. Well, move on, I'm just the youth pastor. I'm just the youth pastor. Their homes were better and brighter. I love what the Bible tells us and the band can go ahead and come up, we're gonna close. It says they worship together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Can I encourage you, revival does not just change the world, but it also can change your world. That it doesn't have to just change everyone corporately, but it actually can go into your homes, but it actually can change your marriage, but it actually can change your life. Uh, there are a few times in like, who in here, uh, you're the cook, you're the cook in the family. Raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand. Yeah, 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 you're the cook. Who in here, you're like me, you do the dishes. Like, yeah, like it's not as much work, but it's work. It counts. You did something. You didn't just sit there. Like, you know, like you had to use both sides of the sponge. Like, it's like, come on. So there'll be moments like, have you ever like when you go home and you've had like just a day, you've had just a day at work and all of a sudden you walk in and the house smells like your favorite meal. Oh, those are some amazing days. Like the house just smells like your favorite meal. I love, like I'll go home and Paige will cook my favorite meal. I'm like, oh, I didn't even know this was on the menu tonight. It just changes your entire day. Like your whole night is just shifted because of when you walk in, you smell that. But there'll be sometimes where like Paige is out of town and I'll walk in the house and I'll be like, why does my house smell like Burger King, McDonald's and Chipotle had a baby? Like why, why does my house smell like this? And I'm like, oh, because I haven't cooked in four days or taken the trash out. Like that's why. And it's interesting because you can walk into the house and immediately, based off the smell, you can tell exactly what the vibe is and you can tell exactly how the night's going to go. And what's interesting, have you ever been to like someone's house and you walk in 
and it kind of has that vibe around. Have you ever been to a married couple's house and you walk in and you can just walk in and you can be like, you guys just finished fighting, didn't you? Like, I love doing that to my friends. I'll be like, who won? Like, I, like it's like, just making it worse. Who won? Or have you ever walked into someone's house and you're doing dinner with the family and you can tell like the kids just got punished? Like, it's like someone didn't clean their room. Like, I can tell. Why? Because you can tell the vibe when you walk into the room. You can tell what's going to happen. You can tell there's a smell that is filling the room. The Bible even tells us that as Christians, that there's an aroma that you and I give off. How do I know? 2 Corinthians 14 through 16, in the Messiah, in Christ, God leads us from place to place in one perpetual victory parade. Through us, he brings knowledge of Christ everywhere we go. People breathe in the exquisite fragrance. Because of Christ, we give off a sweet scent rising to God, which is recognized by those on the way of salvation, an aroma redolent with life. When you live for Jesus and you're engaged in his church, what does it tell us? That there's this smell about you, that it's this sweet aroma, that it's a sweet scent rising to God. And they met in homes. And I can imagine that when you walked into these homes, it just felt like laughter, it just felt like hope. It just smelled like, it just smelled like peace. It just smelled like joy. It just smelled like all of these things. So if I was to sit down with you at a coffee shop and I was to ask you, hey, what aroma is in your house? Like, have you ever really sat down and processed that? Like, is it, does it smell like arguing? Does it smell like anxiety? Does it smell, like, what does it smell? Or does it smell like laughter? Does it smell, I love what it says. It says that they were full of praising God, that they shared meals together. They took communion together and just talked about how good God was. Like imagine you're just sitting at the table and yeah, maybe sometimes like the kids are acting crazy and you're like, what's going on? Like, I did not teach you to respond like this. I did not teach you. But then they just sat down and said, hey, have you ever just thought about how good God is? Have you ever just, isn't God just amazing? Isn't the cross just powerful? Isn't just, isn't God just good? Isn't he just big? And if we are not careful, what will happen is we'll create toxic culture in our homes. And they'll be filled with the wrong things. But what does it show us? Hey, when you're engaged in the church, when you're engaged in community, when you're engaged in prayer, it does not just stay in the church, but it moves to your home. Your conversations begin to change. Your responses begin to change. You want to serve your family, not be served by your family. And it gives off an aroma. And I believe that homes can be filled with praising God again. I believe they can be filled with laughter again. I, be, I believe they can be filled with hope again. I don't know about you, but that's what I want my home to be like. I want a home filled with laughter and joy and praising God. Amen? Amen. And then the last thing is this. Lost people come to know God. I love what the Bible tells us. It says, each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Come on, not just on Sunday, daily. Imagine what would happen at your job if people got saved daily. Imagine what could happen in your school if people got saved daily. Come on, imagine what could happen at the DMV if people got saved daily. Lord, be with them. Extend your hand, God. Grace among grace. Come on, what could happen if people in your life got saved day by day. Salvation was not just something that happened at the end of a service. It was a part of their daily life. Like imagine you go to work and you log into your computer and you check your emails and somebody yells out day after day after day, hey, Bill got saved. Hey, John got saved. He saved, he, he came to know Jesus. Imagine you go to the coffee shop and there's such an awareness about you that you begin to see lost people all around, that you don't see people annoying you, but you see an opportunity. To say, hey, do you know Jesus? Do you want to go to church? There was an awareness about them. There was a fervor about them. And it said what? That he added to their fellowship those who were being saved. What does that show me? He says he added to their community those that were being saved. This shows me that there were people in their community that weren't saved when they got there. Can I talk to the non-Christians in the room for a second? Can I encourage you? We believe here at this church, you belong before you believe. That you have a place here that you have a home here, that you are wanted here, that you have a place here and that we are not going, that you belong before you believe. And yes, we believe that community will change you. Yes, we believe that grace is that good, but hey, you have a place here and you belong here and the grace of God is for you. Whether you've been in church your whole life and this is your first time back or whether this is your first time in church ever, can I encourage you, you have a home here. 
says he added to their communities those who were being saved. I remember I was in Florida and I was at Publix. Who here has been to Publix before? Just raise your hand, raise your hand. Yeah, if you've been to Publix, you know. You know the glory of Publix. You're like, what's Publix? It is a grocery store, but it's cooler than it sounds. Like it's it's cooler than it sounds. It's this amazing grocery store. Their, their slogan is where shopping is a pleasure. <laughs> and it is, like shopping is a pleasure there. And I'm there and I see this student and I'm looking at this student and, and I was serving in a youth ministry at the time and, and I recognized the student because I coached basketball uh, and I had known like the school that the student went to. So I go up to him and I'm talking to him and I so all of a sudden start to feel this like moment to where I'm like, hey, you should invite this kid to church. And you ever like have that moment, it's like your heart starts beating fast and you start getting knots in your stomach and I invite him and he ends up not coming. But I had this realization in that moment, the worst thing that can happen for me inviting him to church is he says no. Like a lot of times, like I've always like questioned where all this anxiety came from as if we're gonna be like, hey, uh, do you wanna go to church with me? And the person's gonna be like, no, I hate you. Like, like literally, why would you even talk? Why are you even talking to me right now? Like get away, like no. The worst thing that can happen is I'm good. Hey, do you wanna go to church? I'm good. Hey, hey, will you, will you go to church with me? Worship night? Now I'm okay. Oh, but the best thing, the best thing that can happen is that a young student gets to go to a place where maybe he's never even known he was loved by God. Maybe he's never known that the addictions that he's dealing with can be broken. Maybe he's had some generational things going on and he can realize that what was once dead in his life now can have life in his life. The worst thing that can happen is no, but the best thing that can happen is a student that might've been on his way to hell now can go to heaven, now can have freedom, now can have eternal life. That's the best thing that can happen. How many times have we, do we avoid talking about church in our work or in our families because it's uncomfortable? How many times? You wanna know what's uncomfortable? Living in bondage. You wanna know what's uncomfortable? Addiction. You wanna know what's uncomfortable? A marriage on the brink of divorce. But you and I, we cannot allow being uncomfortable to stop us from preaching the gospel. We cannot, you wanna know what's uncomfortable? Being on a cross. That's very uncomfortable. Jesus wasn't there. Jesus wasn't on the cross as if it was though his good spot on the couch. The Bible says that he even pleaded with God, pleaded with him, God, if there's any other way, if there is any other way, would you take this cup? But what? Not my will, but yours. Not what I want, but what you want. And can I encourage you, you might be processing now. I haven't said this in any other service. And I don't know who this is for. You might be processing now. God, is there any other way that my family can get saved? Is there any other way that my people at my job can come to know you other than me having to have that awkward conversation? May we be people that say, not my will, but yours. Not what I want, but your will. Not what I need, but what you want. May we get uncomfortable for the gospel. There was one of our students who was preaching at a campus club and she began to share her story. She began to share her testimony. And she said this moment, she said this statement. She said, I may live differently than the stereotypical teenager, but what I gain is much better than what I lose. Come on, this is a high school student. She said, hey, I might live differently than you guys. She goes to a public school. I might live differently. I might not be able to go to the party on the weekend. I might not be able to date the way that you date, talk the way that you date, but talk the way that you talk. But what I gain is better than what I lose. I even wrote it down this way. I may have to be mistreated for my faith, but better to be mistreated for my faith than to be accepted for hiding it. I would much rather be mistreated for my faith than mistreated for a God that was mistreated for me, than to be accepted for hiding it, than to be at work like, ah, oh, what'd you do this weekend? I don't know, I don't know. You know I just, just kind of watched the game. I went to church. You're like, oh, I don't know. You went where at church? Like what? No, may we be bold for the gospel. Hey, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, I watched the Super Bowl, but before I went and met the God that loved me, the God who saved me, the God that redeemed me, would you like to come next week? May we get uncomfortable for the gospel. You understand that salvation is not just a hand raise at the end of service, but it's a part of your daily life. We are seeing tons of salvations on our campuses, tons of salvations in our youth ministry, tons of salvations on a Sunday morning. And it is not because there is music or worship band or speakers, but it's because we've had a group of students and a church that has decided to be engaged. 
that has decided to be locked in, that has decided that they will give everything that they have. The Lord added to their fellowship daily. Why? Because they had the best building? No. Because they sang the best songs? No. Because they had the best speakers? No. But why? Because they were devoted to the church, because they were devoted to community, and they were devoted to prayer. Revival's simple. It might not be easy, but it's simple. Can you give your life to the things that God has called you to give your life to? And if you do, we truly believe, we truly believe sleepy Christians will wake up, our city will be better and brighter, your homes will be better and brighter, come on, and the lost will be found. Come on, I don't know about you, but I want salvation daily. I don't want it to be just a moment, right? But I want it to be a daily occurrence in my life. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you're a God that wants us to be devoted to you. God, I pray that there would just be an engagement about us. God, I pray that even right now, God, we would just be locked in. That people right now were starting to think, okay, I got to start serving. I got to get in a group. I got to figure, I, I got to be more locked in. I got to get in. God, I thank you that sleepy Christians are waking up. That there's a spiritual shaking that is happening right now in our church to where people are like, okay, I was asleep, but it's time to move. Okay, I was asleep. I had no feeling. I was numb. I was completely out for the count, but I got to get moving again. I got to wake up again. I got to start serving again. I got to start worshiping again. And God, I thank you that the lost will be found, that our city will be better and brighter, that people will be passionate about their business, not because they will get more things, but because they can be more generous. God, may we realize that things are just that, things. But you're a God that loves us and cares for us. May they not get to us, may they get through us. And God, I thank you homes are gonna have a sweet aroma, that when people walk into their homes again, there'll be laughter again. There'll be hope again, that marriages that haven't laughed in weeks are gonna find laughter that people who have maybe been struggling are gonna find hope again, that marriages that were dead. God, I thank you, God, that you're not afraid of things that are dead. You, you defeated death. So a marriage feels dead, but you defeated death. Our addictions feel dead, but you defeated death. Our mental health feels dead, but you defeated death. You specialize in resurrections, God. And God, may the lost be found. May people get saved at work. May people get saved at our homes. May people get saved at our school. May you add to our fellowship daily, not just bad a day, but daily in Jesus name, in Jesus name. We ask this question every single week here at Mission Church. Maybe you're hearing you've never given your heart to Jesus before. We say this means two things at our youth ministry. The first thing we say this means Jesus, I want you in my heart, that there are things that are in my heart I need you to take out. And there are some things that aren't in my heart that I need you to put in. And the second thing we say this means Jesus, I want you in my life. There's habits I have, there's things that I do, and I don't want to continue to be my own savior, but I want to accept a savior today. And if that's you with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to count to three and I would love for you to just raise your hand. I'm not gonna ask you to share anything. I'm not gonna ask you to tell your story, but I do wanna know who I'm praying for. And the Bible says that we have to make a decision. So if that's you on the count of three, I would love for you to just raise your hand. One, two, three. I see you, I see you, I see you. That's awesome. Anyone else? Give you a couple more seconds. I see you. You can look up at me. We're gonna pray this prayer. We're gonna pray it all together. It's called the sinner's prayer. The reason why we pray it is because we believe that we're all sinners saved by the grace of God. So repeat after me, say, dear Jesus. Come on, say it like you're at the Niners game. Say, dear Jesus, come into my life. Make me brand new. Forgive me of my past as I choose today to make you Lord of my life for the rest of my life. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.